Well, we are going to tackle this topic of, in some of your Bibles, it may be a heading of, uh, about revenge. In other topics, it may just say eye for an eye, which I think is a better rendering for this area. Many movies, books, and even plays and musicals have a plot or a subplot exacting retaliation, whether it's human to human, God to human, or human to gods. I mean, it's all wrapped in there, right? I guess a few years ago, as I was doing a little research, I didn't remember this. There was a show called Revenge. Uh, how many want to, no, okay, I want to ask you to raise your hand. But maybe you watched it, uh, I, you know, that they would build a whole show around this idea of just exacting, you know, revenge and violence on one another. It's just crazy. But you have to ask the question, right? Where do the writers actually get their material? Have you ever looked around? Right? I mean, have you ever looked around? We as humans have this penchant for retaliation, for getting back at people who have done wrongs to us. Maybe it's been, maybe it has been an injustice, or maybe it's just a perceived injustice. We have this, you know, just this idea. In fact, I've watched uh, kids, little kids, beautiful little kids, wonderful little kids, just do the meanest things to each other when something's been taken or said or done, right? And then you, it, just, it just grows. When they become teens, uh, you know, they have a, little, a few more devices. And as adults, we become, maybe not some of us uh, in our culture, I hope not in the room, some of us in our culture have uh, become a little more subtle about it, but it's as ruthless, it's as violent, and it's that way. Hey, I don't know if you heard about this at all, uh, but did you hear about the, the manure wall in Lodi Township? Yeah, you probably did. I mean, right in our own backyard. I hope it's not in your backyard. But there was this family dispute that happened in Lodi Township, and it's between two families, right? And uh, so one of the people in the family decided to create a a cow manure wall, I'll just leave it at that. You can do with it what you want. And so they created this wall outside of this home. On, he did it on his own property, so there's nothing legally that can be done, but I guess it was a real stink. <laughs> I think it was a real stink. You can look, look it up. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, I watched the, one of the newscasts where the guy was, was interviewing, and he, he made as much fun of it as you possibly can, but it was, <laughs> this is humorous. But most, I'm not sure it's humorous for the people that are renting the house, but, but most retaliation is not, right? I mean, most re retaliation and revenge has, has a desire to create chaos and havoc and dehumanize and destroy. We use words like, you just wait, or I'll get even. And those are words that probably we don't say out loud to the person, but we house in our heads that get parked in our hearts. Well, Jesus has, as you might guess, a better way to navigate the violence and injustice done to us as followers. Last few weeks, we've been attempting to try to just impart to you that it's, this ethic is not for the rest of the world. That this ethic that Jesus is calling us into, this kingdom thing that Jesus is calling into, is for those of us as followers. It's tough. 
but it's the way, as they would say in Star Wars. Let's take a, take a look at the words of Jesus line by line. Can we do this? It says, you have heard, it's not, a, there we go. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus is again taking a common understanding of the day, right? They would understand this. And within the Jewish belief, and he's either, depending on how you look at it, he's turning it upside down. Or for some, he could be completely setting what he's about to say aside. What are you saying aside? With these words, you, heard, you have heard that it was said. Now, I had the thinking, uh, parents, this is a great phrase that pays. So your kids come home from school. They will go to school, I promise, if they haven't, you know, if you're willing to allow them. And they'll say, but Billy, and you can just start out with saying, well, you have heard that it was said in school. And then you could just, you know, reverse. I, I think it's kind of a cool thing, right? You know, you have heard that it was said that every boy and girl should have a smartphone. But I tell you to be rested and to be keep your humanity and be truly alive. You don't and you won't. <laughs> I think you could play. I think it really does play. Anyway, Jesus is good that way. This teaching that Jesus is wading into is monumental even in its day, though. That's the incredible thing about it. So uh, it's known as the Lex Talionis, uh, which is uh, a law that was followed not only in Judaism, but even outside of it, where it it evened out the justice system, or thought that it did, that, uh, that no one, no matter how powerful they are or how low they were, they couldn't, couldn't escape justice. And the kind of justice was to be, you know, a tit for a tat, a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye, right? This was monumental. I mean, this was to stop the blood feuds that would, that would happen for years, right? Some of you are from uh, the West Virginia area where the Hatfields and McCoys probably don't even know why uh, they are the way they are, but they continue to exact revenge on each other, right? It was to stop that kind of thing. And it's all found from Exodus chapter 21, verses 24. Actually, the whole chapter, you could read it, but this is what he's quoting. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a bruise for a bruise. Jesus is quoting this, and this is what we, we don't capture because we haven't memorized the Torah. But everybody listening, pretty much everybody listening, not everybody, would have had the Torah or the Hebrew Bible, the first five books, memorized. or pretty close. And when he would say an eye for an eye, they automatically, their minds would automatically go back to this passage of scripture. They would pull it up as if they had a, a microfish in their mind. Okay, that's old. That was just fun. Some of us know what that is. Anyway, but it was, he was bringing that up on purpose. He's like, hey, you know what this is. And he goes into it. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist an evil person. Now, the incredible thing is Jesus saying that we should do nothing. I mean, don't resist them. It almost sounds that way. But Jesus is not saying that evil should run its course. 
not to be allowed to continue. And even as you listen through this, you need to understand that he's calling us again to, can I use the words the, or the title of the song, to a higher ground. He's calling us to a higher ethic, a higher way of doing life. And he's, he wants us to lean into this. Now, before we get into this, I believe that Jesus is not referring necessarily to a public order, a governmental rule. I do not believe that. I don't see that in this. It is, you'll see by the illustrations, they're personal, they're individual, and they're individual to individual. And so Jesus is saying to you and I as a follower, when you have ought with your brother or your sister, or you have an issue, these are the ways that I want you to correct them. I want you to overpower them, in fact, by the way of living that I'm calling you to. He's establishing that. And it, what it does, when we live in the ways that he's calling us to, it transforms the situation. And more importantly, it probably transforms us individually. But we have to kind of wrap ourselves in this idea of what is he calling us to? Well, before we get too far into the passage, again, I want to take you back to Luke chapter 9 or take you into Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, where Jesus is calling us as believers out to do some radical things in a radical way. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and daily follow me. He calls us out, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world that yet lose or forfeit their very soul? So Jesus calls out those who are following him, but he doesn't do it devoid of leadership, devoid of servanthood. In Mark chapter 10, verses 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He leads the way in what he's calling his people. This is how good Jesus is. This is how good our God is. He doesn't call us to things he would never himself endure, never himself follow into. In fact, I would say that Jesus himself calls us into this kind of life, into a self-giving love into a self-giving love. This love is self-sacrificing. It is the shape of the cross, and that's the love that he calls us to. Jesus calls his followers not to retaliate using violence on violence. There is an absolute another way. In fact, deeper into the New Testament, Paul tells us we are not to repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, there are a few people throughout history who have read not only Matthew chapter 5 and been transformed by it, but have given their thoughts about it too. They, Leo Tolstoy is one of those who said this ethic that he calls us to in Matthew 5 verses 38 to 42 is breaking the chain of evil. 
It is the way that we break the chain of evil around us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object. Now think about these words, when it finds no opposing object, no resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not matched. You have to understand that I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew this and understood it. In fact, he absorbed it, is what we could say. We, as kingdom dwellers, as followers of Jesus, are not to resist. He calls us not to resist evil with evil, but a far better way. So he gives us four illustrations to do that. Four illustrations to do that. Yep, I knew this happened. There we go. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, most people in our culture are right-hand dominant. In fact, about 88% of us are right-hand dominant. 12% of us, including my daughter, is, has a left-hander. She likes to write left-handed. In fact, she's ambidextrous. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, but we're right-hand dominant. It comes into play here. So if you're get to, to get slapped on the right cheek, you're getting a backhand. You're not getting a forehand. You're getting a backhand. And in this culture of shame and guilt of what Jesus is talking about, he is talking more less about the, the violence or the impact, if you will, and more about the shame that is being inflicted on the person. And that's what he's getting at. This is clearly, in their culture, a put-down just to be slapped backhand. We've seen it maybe in movies. People take out their gloves and they slap somebody. It's obviously not, uh, not going to change the person's uh, stature in most cases, but it is to shame them. And when we're shamed, there's something inside of us that we, there's almost intrinsic that we, we want to react. We want to shame them back. We want to be in control. In those situations, we generally have two choices. They come to our minds, they come to our hands, our body in a very quick, quick way. We either want to fight. Yep, go back. There we go. We either want to fight or we want to flee. We either want to fight or flee. They're both about self-preservation. Now think about what Jesus has called us into. He's called us into deny ourselves. He's called us into resign, give, allow him to have control of who we are in all ways. And they're instinctual. These two are instinctual, but Jesus calls us into a different way. He calls us, we can either fight, we can either flee, or we can face. And by the way, there's no reason why I picked the, the bride running away, except she's running away. It was hard to find me, find one that would kind of illustrate that. So I, I know it's going through your mind. You, you know, I'm not thinking bad anything. We can allow, in those situations when we're struck on the cheek, to have uncontrolled emotions control the actions and the behaviors in our mind. But Jesus is calling us something greater, a third creative, an imaginative way to evoke love in the kingdom, to face the other person. In fact, if you were to get, if you were to get backhanded, 
your head would tilt, right? What Jesus is calling us to do is actually not to give them the other cheek, but actually to face them. And when we face the other person, what happens is they then have to make a choice. Are they going to hit you square on with a fist, which is possible, by the way, or will they actually start to see you as somebody who is equal to them? Because oftentimes in shame situations, they want to put you in a place where you're shamed. But Jesus is saying in a very dignified, gain your humanity, look at the person again and say, you know, basically in stature, he's saying, look, what, you know, what gives here? Get your dignity back and don't fall into the fight or flight or flee, but you have the opportunity to face the situation. And when you face it, oftentimes, I think, just as we were taught in, in urban ministry, when you walk down the street, you don't keep your head down. You look people in the eye. When you look people in the eye, they see that you're looking at them. It, the possibility and the probability of mishaps or fair, foul play decreases to, exponentially. It's the same when we walk through life. It's the same when we walk through life. When we walk in the stature of the love that Christ has given to us, not our own emotions that go awry, left or right, unless they're trained by Jesus, we can see things go awry. So he calls us to absorb the evil and in turn to do good, to look at the person. Verse 40, he says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, you're in a courtroom in this situation. You've been sued. Sounds like the person wants to have everything that you have. That's what's happening here. So it would not be uncommon for those that were listening to have a Roman oppressor kind of take everything that they have. That's what was happening. They were just moving in, and so this was an uncommon for them to hear. And during this time, a person would have, have an inner shirt. They would have probably an undershirt or an undergarment, but then they would have an overcoat. And the person was suing them was taking them for their inner coat because the outer coat, according to uh, Jewish law, you could not take. It was, you know, it was their way of sleeping. It was their way of keeping warm. If you caused greater harm to them in that way, you couldn't take it. But this, in fact, Jesus, many scholars are saying that Jesus is actually, this might be a little bit of hyperbole, maybe a little bit of funny, but he's basically saying to the person, look, you, you have a choice. You have a choice in this situation to respond to the evil person. To respond to the evil person. You can fight. You can fight. You can call up the best lawyers you can. Head, head, go in and deal with uh, the situation with the best lawyers and make sure that you settle out. You can flee. Fleeing would be just to give him exactly what he wants, head, head held low, walk out of the situation. But in this situation, Jesus is asking us to look at it in a different way. He's saying, look, what, what does the person want? What will actually bring dignity and bring awareness to the injustice that's happening? And I think this is what he's showing. He's saying, look, strip naked. That's exactly what he's saying. Strip naked in court. That's why most people think it's hyperbole because you probably wouldn't do this as a Jew strip naked. But he's saying, take everything you have and hand it over. And in that moment, you might have an opportunity to transform the individual, change their heart to make them realize, if nothing else, Jesus may even be calling, this is a crazy thing, 
actually for the community to shame the individual in the, in the releasing of what you have, saying, look, if you want that, you can have this. It is an incredible, an incredible and powerful tool, but it has to come from a place that's not out of retaliation. It has to come out of a place that, ah, Jesus wants to re- redeem. He wants love to triumph. And when we do it out of a place that says, look, if, if this is what you want, you can have all of it. What happens in those moments, maybe you've been caught there with a loved one who has shown you grace where you shouldn't be shown grace. Love where you ha- shouldn't be shown love, really, because you, your motive was not pure. You were vindictive, you were retaliatory, and yet they returned. And I can tell you in my own heart, <laughs> in my, my, you know, it, that it changes me. It's like, whoa, wait a second. And they walk away. They just walk away, Right? In this, in this culture that Jesus is speaking of, of, of honor and shame, it would just point out in this situation the excessiveness of what this person is asking for. He gives us another illustration. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Many of us may know this. This is a, about the Roman culture and the soldiers in the day, they would actually commandeer you to carry their gear, whatever it may be. And you could go, go with them just the one mile. You could go with them two miles, as Jesus is saying, as a way to respond. But when oftentimes when we go the one mile, we're usually kind of underneath our breath complaining glaring, desiring the death of that person who is, maybe not the death, but maybe we're desiring the ill of that person when, we're, when we just flee, when we fight, we could, we could just be in this place of just giving up, but Jesus calls us to face it, just as Simon of Cyrene did. He's commandeered to carry the cross of Jesus and to go with him. And this is one of our, our greatest stories in the Bible, found in Mark chapter 15, 21, where we see that Jesus is, is the weight of what is being carried with him is by Simon and is commandeered by the soldiers. The last one he talks about, is he says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus shifts the direction now in this last one from being the oppressed to uh, being the oppressor, really. Somebody comes to you and asks you for something. He wants us to give and give freely. He wants us to give out of a heart of love. Again, what are the options when we give? Well, we can give the person, uh, you know, we can tell the person that, if we're fighting and we've been a fighter all our lives, we can say, look, I earn my money by pulling up my bootstraps, by working hard. God bless you. Go and do the same, right? That's a fighter mentality. We don't give. We tell them to fight on just as maybe we felt that we have fought on too. We can also flee. And many scholars and Others would tell you in sociology would tell you that fleeing would be just giving them exactly what they want when it may not be even the best thing for them or the right thing for them. 
or we can face them. And I think this is what Jesus is calling us to, is in all of these situations, he's wanting us to face the person and the individual and have our response be born out of a relationship, not only with Jesus and following him, but a relationship with one another and to help them to get what they actually need, to help create flourishing and dignity, both for the person asking and for you that, are, that would be giving. giving. Jesus is approaching the injustice done with a creative options in all three of these situations. Most, would, most of us would just want to fight or we want to flee. As I admitted to you a few weeks ago that somebody was asking from assistance for us, from, from me specifically, look me straight in the eye, and I discarded them. I looked them the other way. But Jesus is wanting us to respond to the violence, the, the injustice in our world in, in, a, in a nonviolent resistance, not with non-resistance. He's wanting us to step into who we are as his followers of Jesus, who have been equipped by the Holy Spirit and walk into it. We know that Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement understood the principles of which Matthew chapter 5 and specifically these are talking about in verse 38 through 42. That they were the formation behind the non-resistant, uh, the non-violent resistance that was created in individual situations, and that created a movement that changed things in a great way. Gandhi also was intrigued by Matthew and Jesus and based his non-violent resistance on Jesus, even though he didn't follow him. Because he realized that love, in both of those situations, that love is, the, is transformative to the situation. And there are creative options besides the instinctual fight or flee that we often find ourselves in. We need to see ourselves into that. Bonhoeffer, as I quoted him earlier, says that when we step into these ways of Jesus, that we're a visible participation in the cross of Christ. J.R. Stott says, Jesus' illustrations and personal example depict not the weakling who offers no resistance. He himself has challenged the high priest. He himself, Jesus, challenged the high priest when questioned by him in court. He stood up to him in the fullness of who he was and who he knew he was. So it's not non-resistance. What do we do with this? How do we live this out? I, I think Jesus wants us to face the situation. What are our next steps as we live this out. I think we're called to face the person, the individual. But there are a few ways that we need to do this. And they happen in a moment often. They happen in a moment. But when we're conformed into the likeness of Jesus, when we spend time with Jesus, he continues to conform our hearts. So I think it's our opportunity to face those people, those situations But to do that, I think we need to fully surrender our emotions to God. So it's our opportunity to say, Lord, you know what's coming into my heart. You know what's coming into my mind. You know that my reaction would be to X. But I need you to take over. 
It's interesting that Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again. To be able to respond in this kind of way, you have to live inside of Jesus and inside the Spirit of God. And to take up his cross as followers, we're called to daily, as we said earlier, to take up his cross and follow him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to control every aspect of who we are and how we respond. I think we're, secondly, we're to affirm whose we are. We're to affirm whose we are. Because often in that moment, we think we are in control, that it's our situation, but it's God's. In every one of those situations, Jesus was asking or giving illustrations and commands for us to step in and represent him in those moments when we believe that we're being stripped of our justice, but to step in and absorb the evil with love. I think we're also supposed to consider the other. What is the other need in that moment? Even when evil is being inflicted, what do we think about the other person? How do we go about considering them? And once we've considered their situation, because our situation is solid in Jesus, our situation is found in him. When we affirm who we are, then we can engage in love, whatever that may require in the moment. And I think that Jesus doesn't give us set things to respond in. He wants us to step into the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit of the living God and allow those moments to unfold as he would be there. As I was thinking about this idea of, you know, responding in love, and instead of exacting the justice that may be due, my mind went to uh, the musical that Kathy took me to the first time, Les Mis. You may remember the front of the movie where Jean Valjean is, he's let out of prison, but he's hungry. And uh, the priest invites him to sit at his table. Before this clip that you're going to see, he, he not only invites him to sit at his table, but he prays. And he prays that Jean Valjean, that he's an honored guest at the table. This, if you remember, it's in the movie too, gets Jean Valjean's attention, but not enough to capture it. But it's interesting. But the priest's response is our response to those who have injustice against us. Did I skip over it? There we go. We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become 
an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for Police wanted to arrest him. The priest gives him more, sends him on his way, transformative in the play. But can I just tell you that it's even more transformative in real life? When evil is, is absorbed and a creative third option is given, not to flee or to fight, but to face, we have a wonderful opportunity. In, second, in First Peter, it says this, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit that if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example Did you catch that? He left you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the judges justly, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Is this impossible for us? Absolutely. It's impossible. But the good news is that we don't, we don't evoke this kind of love. We don't invoke this kind of transformation. We don't live this kind of way on our own power, but we live in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. There's no way we can do this on our own, but Jesus invites you into the kingdom. He invites you into a following. He empowers you by his Holy Spirit. So what would happen in this next week if, if injustice were done to you, a wrong done to you, and you instead smiled, considered your emotions in the moment that might rise to the surface, that you affirm who you are in Jesus and whose you are, right? Consider what and where this may be coming from in the other and engage in love in a new way to absorb the evil to change the pattern of the world and change your own heart in the same way. It's going to be a neighbor, a friend, a family member, somebody you don't even know. Let's pray.